Good morning, everybody. We're going to continue on with our worship service. We're running a little bit behind here, and I'm ringing. Uh, I th- just a very packed and full morning already. Uh, what a blessing it is. I don't know if you saw a, uh, a theme of selfless service uh, in our announcement time. This is what I'd like to do. We're going to go to a message, or I will bring a message called Love Serves Unselfishly. And uh, before we do that, I want to pray for us. So could you stand? I'm going to pray for us. Uh, first, I want to acknowledge, great job getting through the rain, getting here, rain, rain clouds, no big deal for Seattle folks, right? Piece of cake. All right, well, we're here to, to worship Jesus, so I want to pray for us, get our hearts centered and uh, continue on with our our service. Uh, So would you pray with me? Father, we want to pause here and acknowledge uh, that, one, you're here with us. You are present with us. And Lord, our hearts are here, those of us who are followers of Jesus. We come here to worship you, to worship your son, Jesus, and to hear from you, Lord, uh, how you want to speak into our lives. And Lord, we thank you for the great morning that we've had already, uh, the great sharing and the things, Lord, that uh, you're preparing our hearts to do, uh, as well as worship. And Lord, we sang a song earlier today uh, about the name of Jesus. And your word tells us that God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God and Father. And Lord, we want to acknowledge Jesus as the center of our worship, that his name is to be praised and that he is to be glorified. And that's why we're here this morning. So help us to do that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may all be seated. Okay, today's message is called Love Serves Unselfishly, and it's part of a 12-week series called Loving as Jesus Loves. And uh, one of the ideas behind this uh, series is that if Christ followers are going to impact relationships and the world around them, the best way is to love as Jesus loves. Included in that is also the way that we serve. And you could say that the way we serve should be as Jesus serves. The way we serve is patterned after Christ. Uh, but I, I have a question for you. Uh, what do you think, are, what, what is one of the ways that prevents us from serving as Jesus serves? I think one of the ways that prevents us from serving the way that Jesus serves is self-centeredness and selfishness and self-absorption. When we become self-absorbed people, we're unable to serve the way Jesus serves. So I have another question for you. Do you consider yourself a selfish person? I had to ask, don't answer that now, uh, <laughs> or don't elbow the person next to you. Uh, I, I had to ask myself that question this week and, and the previous week uh, because selfishness and self-absorption, self-centeredness, those things get in the way of serving. And so I had to ask myself, do I consider myself a selfish person? 
in, the, in their article called, uh, Are You Selfish? Six Ways to Tell. Evelyn and Paul Machetta wrote a list of six things, and they wrote an article around it. And I want to share these six ways uh, with you, six ways to tell if you are selfish. Now, again, if you came here with your spouse or with your significant other or a good friend, as I'm showing these different ways that you're selfish, do not elbow the person next to you and say, I think that's you. Remember, this is about you detecting whether or not we are selfish. You are selfish. Okay, six ways to tell if you're selfish. Number one, you like being in control and find it difficult to compromise. Number two, giving and sharing do not come easily to you. Number three, putting your partner's needs first before your own is very difficult. Number four, you hear constructive criticism as personal attacks. It's hard for you to receive feedback. Number five, you become moody when others have the spotlight. And number six, forgiving others is difficult. Forgiving others is difficult. How many of you found yourself on that list? Don't raise your hand. Uh, if you did, take comfort because most likely there are people in this room who might have found themselves on that list too. I know I did. I look at that list, you know. I look at that list and I find myself, and I think, in each of those things in one way or the other. Um, Evelyn and, and Paul Machetta, who wrote that article and, and wrote that list, they, they go on and write this in their article. They say, many people don't recognize when they're being selfish because they operate inside a bubble of me-first thoughts and belief. Putting yourself becomes a habit. For example, with friends and colleagues, you look for opportunities to put yourself center stage. You spend very little time listening because your focus is on pulling attention back to you. And they go on to write that that's detrimental to relationships. Selfishness, self-absorption. Now, I find a lot of truth in that quote that I just shared because this, most people, myself included, we don't recognize when we're being selfish because we operate what they would call a me-first bubble. We operate a lot of times in relationships and in the way that we serve in a me-first bubble. So then we become oblivious to how we affect other people. This me-first bubble is found in relationships and it's found in the way that we serve, and it's found in the way that we serve our spouses, our friends, our church, our discipleship groups. I don't know if you find this to be true. We, we, we sometimes operate, many times we operate out of this me-first bubble. Sometimes when I'm asked to serve, I prioritize my comfort over the needs of others. Sometimes when I'm asked to serve, I get stingy with my time. Or sometimes when I'm asked to serve, I want the spotlight, and I want to do it my way. I don't know if any of you could relate. This me-first bubble is detrimental to the way that we serve, and it's detrimental in our relationships. So this morning, we're going to unpack what it means to serve, not selfishly, but selflessly. And the main idea for this morning is this. As follower of Christ, we are called to be like Jesus by serving one another. One of the ways to burst that me-first bubble is by serving the people around you in the way that Jesus served. So, as followers of Jesus, we take our cue 
and we take our example from Christ. And so because of that, then it's good for us to look at what did Jesus do uh, in the way that He served? How did He serve selflessly? Um, now, why would you want to listen to this message? Why is it good for you to, to listen to a message that takes a look at the way that Jesus served selflessly? I think there's two ways. I think when we look at the way that Jesus served, two things happen. I think it renews those of us who are tired and refocuses the disengaged. Sometimes when I serve in a long time, you know, for a long time in a certain ministry, I get tired. I get physically exhausted, mentally drained. But when I see what Jesus did, in particular what He did on the cross, it renews me. It reminds me. Or sometimes I get unfocused, like, why am I doing this ministry again? Or why am I in this? Why have I been in here for such a long time? When I see what Jesus has done and how far He went to serve us, it refocuses me. So I don't know for you, I want you to listen to this message, especially if you're tired, if you've been serving for a long time and you're feeling tired, or maybe you're feeling unfocused. All this morning, we are going to take a look at the way that Jesus served, in particular, the way that He served selflessly, okay? So what does Jesus say, or what does the Bible say about the way Jesus served? Let's take a look at this. In John chapter 13, if you've got your Bibles, please turn to it. Or as Pastor Abe was saying, if you've got a device, turn to your Bible app and go to John chapter 13, and we're going to read what it says here about the way that Jesus served. So chapter 13, verse 1, it says this. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So I want to pause right there. John, the writer of this gospel, he's setting up the scene for us. He's setting up the situation. And here's the situation that we walk into. It's right before the Passover festival. And Jesus knew that his hour had come, meaning he knew that he was going to be put to death. He knew that he was going to be crucified, that he was going to die. And so he has one more meal with his disciples. And at this meal, some very significant things happen. Just a word about what the meal looks like. Back in Jesus' time and in his uh, situation, in the land that he comes from, it's very dusty. And they don't have closed-toe shoes. They have sandals. People walk around in sandals. So people are walk around, walking around in dirt, and they're getting their feet dirty. So when you're invited to a dinner and you go into the, into the house, when you walk into the house, somebody would be waiting at the door or by the door getting ready to wash your feet. Why would they wash your feet? One, yeah, it's dirty. But also, when you sit at a, at a dinner table... It's not like the dinner tables that we have here. You know, it's high and we sit on a chair so our feet are placed down. Uh, In Jesus' culture, you sat down at a table that's about 12 to 18 inches high and you sat like this. I mean, if if I sat on the, if I lay down on this. So if I laid like this and I was eating, my feet would be this way. Well, I would be like this. The person next to me would also be like this. So where would their feet be? Or my feet. My feet would be close to their face. So there's... It's good that people wash their feet. So stationed at the door typically is a foot washer. But as we read in the story, 
there isn't a foot washer until we get to verse 4. So he, Jesus, got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Now, could you imagine? You're sitting at the dinner table. You're one of the disciples. You're already ready to go, and you're looking around. You're going, who is going to wash my feet? They're looking around. And then the, the un unthinkable happens. Their Lord and their, their teacher gets up from the table. He takes off his jacket, takes off his coat, and he takes a towel, and he wraps it around his waist. And the towel is similar to like an apron. So he puts this on. He puts a towel on like an apron. He grabs the water and he grabs the basin where people would normally wash uh, their people's feet. So he pours water into a basin. And one by one, he gets down and he starts washing the disciples' feet. Not just washing them. He dries them. And he goes person by person by person who was also in that circle. Judas Iscariot, the one that who would betray him. Jesus became the foot washer for his disciples, even the one who would betray him. This was such a weird thing to see and to experience in that culture for a rabbi, for a teacher to, to do that, to do the foot washing because they're putting themselves in the position of a slave. It's so bizarre that Simon Peter has to say something. So in verse 6, it says this, Jesus came to Simon Peter who said to him, this is Peter speaking, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And here's the corrective moment for Jesus. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And what Jesus meant to say there is, unless I do this, you're not going to be part of what I'm about to do or what I have been doing. Because what Jesus is going to do is he's going to usher in a kingdom full of servants. And, and Peter can't understand that. Okay, Peter still is not understanding. We go to verse 9. Peter says, well, then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my, feet as well, my head as well. Jesus answered, those of you who have... Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you were clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. Peter was still not getting it. He's, he tells Jesus basically, well, Jesus, if you're already down there, might as well wash my hands and my head as well. And have you ever had a, you know, like a facepalm moment, like, ugh, Happens with my kids a lot, and my wife does that to me. Oh, um, I could imagine this is happening to Jesus as Peter says this. Well, while you're down there, might as well wash my hands and my head. <laughs> like Jesus is probably going, oh, you're still not getting it. So Jesus has to correct him, and he has to say, okay, listen, it's not a physical washing, but it's something bigger, and it's something greater that I'm trying to demonstrate to you. What is that? Verse 12, we read this. When he had finished washing their feet, when Jesus finished washing their feet, he put his clothes back on, his clothes, returned to his place. Then he says this, do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them, you call me teacher 
and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, listen to this, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. And this is a key part of the story, this next verse. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. An amazing story. Amazing to see what happens in Jesus' world, what he's done, what he's trying to accomplish in the way that he served. Here are some three key points that I want us to look at in this passage. Three key points that revolve around this. Jesus' example of selfless service. There are three key points about this that I want to make this morning. And I'm going to tell you those three key points. Uh, you have an outline or a bulletin insert that has my message. Uh, these are the three key points that I'm going to go through this morning about Jesus' example of selfless service. One is it's expensive for the generous-hearted. Two, it's counterintuitive to the worldly-minded. And three, it's normative for the kingdom-minded. Expensive, it's counterintuitive, and it's normative. First, it's expensive for the generous-hearted. Why is it expensive? Serving costs Jesus his life for our sake. It costs Jesus his life to be obedient and to serve us. Why? For our sake. Jesus sacrificed his life so that we could be forgiven and so that we can have new life. And followers of Jesus, I want to remind you of this huge, important point. Jesus' cost, Jesus' service and His obedience to the Father is so expensive, it cost Him His life. For what reason? For us, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have new life. I want you to think about all of the ways this week that you might have fallen short maybe an unkind word, an impure thought, maybe some unforgiveness that's happening in your relationships. When Jesus died on the cross, He forgave us for those things. He forgave us so that we can have a clear path, a clear relationship with the Father. And not only that, after He died, after He died a brutal death and was crucified, He was resurrected so that we could participate in this new kingdom that he was ushering in. Serving is expensive for the generous hearted. Serving is expensive for Jesus because it cost him his life and he did it for us. And those of you followers of Jesus, I want to make this point very clearly. We serve the way Jesus served and we, the way we do that is out of his love and out of his sacrifice, we serve. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8, why is it expensive for Jesus? We read in the story that Jesus was going to go back to the Father. If He's going to go back to the Father, which means, this means then that He had come from someplace. Where did He come from and what did He do? Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8, it says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. This is what I want you to hear. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to His own advantage. Rather, rather, he made himself nothing 
by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Why was it costly for Jesus? When one, it cost him his life, but he, Jesus also made himself nothing, became a human slave, became obedient to the point of dying on a cross. Jesus' selfless service is costly and it's expensive, but He did it. He did it because He loves us. Jesus' selfless service is expensive for our sake. Another point about this is for us too, it's costly to serve, isn't it? Those of you who have been serving a long time, part of ministry teams, those of you who have to endure long, endless meetings run by wordy pastors, you know that it's costly for you too. Sometimes serving on a ministry team is uh, it's challenging, it's hard, and it's costly. Sometimes we have to set aside our pride when we serve, and we run the risk of humiliation. Sometimes when we serve, you, we have to humble ourselves so that we can serve someone who may not be at the same place as we are financially or have the same status as us socially. Sometimes when we serve, Sometimes when we serve, we get hurt by the very people we are serving or the people we are serving with. It's costly for us too, isn't it? Serving also costs time. Serving also costs time. And time is expensive. Some of you in here are consultants, and you know how much your time is worth. Your time is not worth $13 or $15 at what's minimum wage these days. It's like $14, $13. Uh, those of you who are business consultants, you know that you don't get paid $13 now. It's like maybe 10, 20 times more than that. You know the value of your time, and time is expensive. Time is costly. Time is also expensive for those who don't have a lot of time. Those of you who have families and little kids, you know time is a valuable commodity, yet serving costs time. And time is expensive. But Anne Graham, Lotz, Anne Graham Lotz had this to say about time and about Jesus. I want, to, I want us to have some good perspective about what it costs us and also what it costs Christ. This is what Anne Graham Lotz says. She says, if you and I are going to meet the needs of others, we must not view people as interruptions. We must be willing to see them from God's perspective and we must be willing to give up some of our own time to help meet their needs. Jesus gave up His time to Himself. He gave up His holiday. He gave up His family time in order to meet the needs of the crowd. He knew that meeting the needs of others invariably requires some personal sacrifice. Jesus' selfless service is expensive. And it's costly, costly for us. But in light of what Jesus has done, our, our purview, our perception and our, our perspective on serving changes, doesn't it? So number one, Jesus' selfless service is expensive for the generous-hearted. Here's the second thing. It's counterintuitive to the worldly-minded. It's counterintuitive to the worldly-minded. Jesus' selfless service is counterintuitive, meaning it's, not the, it's, it's different from the way that the world runs and is therefore confusing for those with a worldly perspective. 
in the passage, Peter asks Jesus, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Peter's confused. Thinking that the washing is strictly physical, Peter tells Jesus, well, Lord, not just my feet, my hands and my head as well. Why was Peter thinking this way? Peter is thinking with a worldly perspective. To Peter's worldly perspective, lords, masters, and teachers of the law would never put themselves in a position or a posture of a slave or a servant. They just don't do that. Rabbis, teachers, masters, lords, they just don't wait at the door to wash people's feet. And it's confounding to people who think with a worldly perspective. It was, uh, it was confounding and confusing for Peter. Jesus' way is counterintuitive, and therefore it's confusing for those of us who think with a worldly mind. See, in God's kingdom, many things are upside down, right? In God's kingdom, many things are upside down. The poor are actually rich in spirit. The last shall be first. The greatest of you shall be the slave of all of you. It's upside down. It's counterintuitive. And you know what? Servants in the church, followers of Jesus who are serving Jesus, servants in the church, we think also and do things counterintuitively. Uh, Sunday morning teams, um, I oversee uh, a slice of Lighthouse and particularly the Sunday morning uh, teams and so on Sunday mornings, we have a number of teams serving through here. We have hospitality, we have setup, setting up the chairs, we have strike people, we have worship band, we have audio, we have visuals. There's all these teams that are serving on Sunday mornings. And to me, well, one, they're my heroes. I love them. Uh, I love how, you know, dedicated and loving they are towards Christ. Um, but to me, it's like they think so counterintuitively. It's just like it confounds me. Why would you do what you do on Sunday morning? Um, those people, those Sunday morning teams, many of them are here by 7 a.m. They are up putting chairs, getting this whole place ready by 7.30, 8 a.m. Now think about this. If those people are here at church at 7 a.m., actually, I want to go back. The first person in that whole string is the truck drivers. The truck drivers have to be, they have to get the church here at 7 a.m. If you work backwards, uh, there's about 10 to 15 minutes travel time, which means they've got to be at our storage at 6.45 if they're going to be at the church storage at 6.45, give them 20 minutes, 25 minutes to uh, get there. So that puts us at whoa, 6.20, 6.25. Uh, maybe it takes a person 20 to 25 minutes to get ready, to shower, to eat. Puts you at 6 a.m. And I think those of you who live farther, who, who have to drive the truck, I'll give you 5.30. So think about this, 5.30, 6 a.m., just to bring the truck here at 7 a.m., Normal people don't think like that. You know, like, who thinks that way? I'm, I'm going to serve at church on Sunday morning while everybody else is asleep. Counterintuitive. If your coworkers tell you, hey, what did you do on Sunday morning? I got up at 5.30 in the morning to be at church by 7 a.m., and I helped put the church together. That is wacky. That, that, why would you do that? That's crazy. It's counterintuitive, and it doesn't make sense. It's upside down, and when you do that, you're following the pattern of Christ. Jesus' selfless service is counterintuitive to the worldly perspective, to the worldly mind. Third thing, Jesus' selfless service is normative. 
for the kingdom-minded. This is what I mean when I say normative. It is the new normal. Jesus' selfless service is the new normal for His followers and for His kingdom. Serving one another is a normal way of life. And as much as I want to kind of slow things down here because I don't want you to think that this whole message is just about serving uh, or, or serving as all Christians do. I think serving is a normal way of life just as much as loving Christ, loving the people around you, and also being loved by Christ. I think that is the normal way of life as much as serving is because our service comes out of the way that we love God and the way that we love other people. So, I want to be careful there. I just want to say that word. But serving is a normal way of life for followers of Jesus. Jesus makes this point very, very clearly in verses 14 and 15. He says this, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do. You should do as I have done for you. And if there was any question about what we do and why we do it and for what reason and for what purpose, what good does it do? Jesus makes it really clear what followers of Christ are to do. We are to serve one another. And we do it in the way that Jesus did it. And Jesus doesn't make this as a friendly suggestion. It isn't a, hey, let me drop this in the comment box and as a a request. He says, no, this is a normal way of life that we serve one another. This is what the new kingdom looks like. Jesus is setting the new normal. Serving one another is a way of life, and Jesus has set the example for us in an everyday setting in the passage that we read. took place in a dinner. The new normal is also going to make sense, only going to make sense for Christians who are kingdom-minded. It's only going to make sense to you, and I think it's only going to be, you know, crucial to you if you are thinking kingdom-mindedly. In the message translation of verse 8 in the passage that we read, Jesus says this, if I don't wash you, he says this, this is the message translation, you can't be part of what I'm doing. This is in verse 8. If you don't, if I don't let you, if you don't let me do this, you cannot be part of what I'm doing. What exactly is Jesus doing? Jesus is ushering a new kingdom. He is ushering a new way of life for those who would follow him. And it's, I mentioned this earlier, it's an upside down, confounding kingdom for people who don't think like Jesus. He's bringing in this new kingdom, kingdom kingdom-minded folks, and if you don't see what Jesus is doing, you're going to miss it. You're not going to be able to be a part of it. All you're going to see is just serving for the sake of serving. You're not going to see that to be a part of the kingdom is to serve, and as you serve, the kingdom grows, the kingdom moves forward. And Jesus is saying, this is what I'm trying to do. When I die on the cross and I get resurrected, those who are forgiven, those who have been set free, they're going to be part of this new kingdom because when when my life is resurrected, those who have given their life to me, they're also going to be resurrected and released into a powerful kingdom that impacts the world around them. So when Jesus says to Peter, 
unless I do this, you're not going to be part of what I'm doing. That is the kingdom way, serving. And it's the new normal. My pastor in Iowa, I lived in Iowa for three years. That's a whole sermon in and of itself. (laughs) Actually, if you want to take me off for coffee, I'll tell you why I ended up in Iowa. And the short answer is God. Um, But I was in Iowa for three years, straight out of college. And while I was in Iowa, I was part of a church plant. And my pastor there demonstrated kingdom-minded serving to me. Uh, When I first moved to Iowa, I was fresh out of college. I was driving a beat-up old car. My car needed brakes. It needed new brakes and it needed new discs, brake discs. Am I saying that right? I don't know nothing about cars. Um, So I I told my pastor, and I said, man, it's going to cost a lot of money. My pastor said, okay, you know what? I know enough about cars that, you know, that I'm dangerous, but I think I can help. And so he said, why don't you bring your car uh, into my garage? And my pastor was bivocational, so he worked as a man or a a director for a construction company uh, by day, and then in the evening he was a pastor, and on weekends he was a pastor. So he said, you know, come on over. When we're done with work, come over to my house, and we'll put new brakes. And um, so I brought my car into his house, into his garage, and for a whole week uh, we attempted, and I say attempted because we weren't very successful, (laughs) we attempted to put new brakes into my car. And as the week was going on, it, it just dawned on me. I'm like, you were the pastor of our church, and here you are, you're under my car, rolled up sleeve, your hands are dirty, your jeans are all dirty, you're changing the brakes on my car, and you have to preach on Sunday morning. Who does that? That's crazy. My pastor was kingdom-minded. He understood that the kingdom that Jesus was ushering in had servants who would get their hands dirty, who would get their knees dirty, who would serve one another. And it depended not on status, what you did, serving one another. It's just what you do. And it's normative for those who are kingdom-minded. So three ways. Jesus' selfless service here is three things. Expensive for the generous-hearted, counterintuitive for the worldly-minded, and normative for the kingdom-minded. The main idea I'm trying to get across here is be like Jesus by serving one another. Be like Jesus by serving one another. So here's a question. How can you serve unselfishly? I think there's two ways. One is identify the needs of others, which means see with the eyes of your heart. Look around you. Who's in need? What ministry teams need help? Who in your discipleship group needs help? Who is hurting that's around you that could use the encouraging and loving words of Christ? Who needs to be corrected and see the truth of Christ? First step, identify the needs of the people around you. See with the eyes of your heart. Second thing is care for the needs of those around you. It's just another way of saying Get on your feet, move your feet, get your hands dirty. Care for those around you. The need is plenty. The need is plenty in this church. There's a person that needs an encouraging word. We have loss experienced here. 
uh, it takes a lot of time to set up this church. The needs are everywhere. Identify those needs. Care for them. So here's a question for you. Who can you serve selflessly this week? Who can you serve selflessly this week? Is there someone in your life? Is there a group of people? Maybe it just begins with forgiving somebody. And that could become the greatest service this week for you. One final benefit of serving the way Jesus served, uh, and it's this, priceless joy and unexpected blessing. Priceless joy and unexpected blessing. In verse 17, when Jesus is closing out this time with his disciples or this, this um, situation with dinner, Jesus says this to his disciples, now that you know these things, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You will be blessed if you do them. When we are obedient to serve the way Jesus served, there is a blessing from Christ. And that promised blessing from Christ is priceless joy. Meaning, sometimes Jesus just blesses us by being obedient in ways that we go, this is priceless. I cannot put a price tag on this, you know? I work for the church. I'm a pastor. I get paid for what I'm doing. But there are countless ways that you could serve, and the value of it is priceless. Uh, each year, each year, my wife, Christine, and I I have served together at a week-long camp for people with special needs, people with cerebral palsy, people with Downs. Um, we serve at this week-long camp called Special Camp, and it takes place in Northern California. And you basically spend a whole week living with, you're living in a cabin. Back then it was a cabin, now it's like dorms. You spend a whole week living with and serving people with special needs. And in 2007... In 2007, we just got married. Uh, it's been like under a year since we got married. In 2007, uh, Christine was six months pregnant with our first child. She and I ended up serving while she was six months pregnant at special camp. And when you serve at special camp, okay, it's a camp. You're, you're serving and helping people with special needs. It is a physically demanding week caring for people with special needs. And because it's a camp, you've got to walk everywhere. My wife was six months pregnant. Again, who does that? Why did I let that happen? Um, well, she's the one who did it. I, I can't tell her what to do. Um, those of you husbands know what I'm talking about. All right. Uh, getting back on track. Being six months pregnant, okay, we do a lot of physical activities at the camp. You walk around everywhere. Being six months pregnant, at the end of a long day, Christine goes back to her cabin with her campers at night, and she's laying down. She has a cot in the cabin. She's laying down, and her feet are swollen, and she's, like, laying on it, uh, on, on, the back, uh, on her back with a, with a, on the cot, and her feet are up, and her feet are swollen. And somehow the, the cabin with the special needs uh, folks and the aides, are, they started talking, and they started chatting, one of the special campers, uh, her name is Jamie, one of the campers that Christine was serving looked at Christine, and you know what she offered Christine? Not a foot massage. 
because that was going to be my job at the end of the week, um, Jamie offered to do something that was priceless. She saw Christine's need, and she said, can I pray for you? Isn't that amazing? A person with special needs, the person we were serving, <clears throat> it's extraordinary. I'm going to drink some water. <laughs> um, there is extraordinary joy and blessing, and it's unexpected sometimes when we serve the ones or when we serve people. Man, we experience unexpected joy and blessing. Jamie is a person with special needs, but she identified Christine's need. She moved her feet and said, can I offer to pray for you? Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? And, and, and just to let you know, Jamie, after she prayed the next day, Christine's feet were no longer swollen. Prayer of a righteous person, right? When we serve, when we are obedient to serve, there is priceless joy. <clears throat> There's priceless joy and unexpected blessing. Jesus, He served us so selflessly so that we could be forgiven and to have new life. And so followers of Jesus, I just want to ask you, would you be willing to serve selflessly this week or maybe this month or this year? And I understand that there are certain things that happen in a person's life and maybe in your life that you go, it's not feasible right now. I'm suffering loss. I'm suffering these. I understand. But would you consider this week taking a look at the way that Jesus served? And would you consider this week, this month, this year, to serve selflessly the people around you? Billy Graham wrote this thing. I, I want to share this quote. He said, the highest form is worship. The highest form of worship is the sound of unselfish Christian service. <clears throat> the greatest form of praise, the greatest form of praise is the sound of consecrated feet seeking out the lost and the helpless. And I'm wondering if that could be you this week, consecrated feet seeking out the lost and the helpless. Would you pray with me? Actually, can I have you all stand and just pray? Lord Jesus, one message, one 40-minute message is not going to fully encompass, Lord. Uh, give us a under, full understanding of what you did on the cross, how you served us, how you love us. But Lord, we look at your words. We see what you did. We see your heart. We see how you serve the people around you, your disciples. And Lord, it's an amazing thing to see the way that you served, even at this dinner, at this meal that you had, let alone what you would do hours later. Lord, we praise you that you would serve us and be obedient to the Father to the point of dying on the cross for us. And so, Father, I pray for us. I pray for our hearts I pray for our minds that we would not think with worldly-mindedness, but we would think with a kingdom mind. I pray, Father, that you would draw us close to your heart so that we would see your heart in the way that you want us to live. Teach us, Father. Teach us, Lord Jesus, to be selfless servants just like you. We pray this in your name. Amen.